Super Talk Mississippi media production. Did you know Toyota Brookhaven has sold more new vehicles the last two years than any other dealership in southwest Mississippi? Come see why. Exit 40 Brookhaven or online at toyotabrookhaven.com. Great service, great savings. At Toyota Brookhaven, we deliver. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the stories straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes. In a Mississippi minute. That's right. Welcome, welcome to another entire In a Mississippi Minute. Today I'm honored to have on the horn such a talented artist who, I might add, has appeared on Johnny Carson, David Letterman, Hee Haw. The list goes on and on and on. He has entertained to generations with his crazy musical and humorous style. Such amazing talent and continues to roll and not skip a beat. Please welcome the multi-wildly talented Gary Mule Deer. What's up, Gary? Wow, that's kind of hard to follow, man. That's mm-hmm. a great intro. Thank you. I'm known for it. I'm getting well. I'm getting known for it. My friends, all you guys, I'm, I'm impressed that I'm impressing you guys. I like it. Oh, that's terrific. Thanks, man. No, <laughs> what's happening? Where are you right now? I'm in the Black Hills of South Dakota. I'm packing. My wife Nita and I are packing me up. I'm driving to California on Saturday. I'm heading out to California and going to go out there and join Johnny Mathis. I'm going to go do a theater in Wickenburg, Arizona. And then come back and do another Johnny Mathis thing, and then my wife's coming out. We're gonna rent a house for three weeks and get out of this weather in South Dakota. Hey, tell me, tell me about your journey there as far as coming back. Uh, did you ever leave? Yes, I was gone thirty years, L.A. from sixty, actually sixty-five to ninety-five. I went to Denver for a year. You know, I I had a partner, a folk music partner. We were called the Black Hills Two, and we won the talent contest at the college and. In 65, first place was you got to drive yourself to Denver <laughs> and work for free for the officers in the air base <laughs> and stay overnight in the uh, in the barracks and get one free meal. <laughs> that was our, that, that's what got me out of here to Denver. Then wow. I just stayed down there. My partner came back. And I worked there as much as I could. And about for about a year, there was no place else to go. The guy said he was going out to L.A. to be in a group called the Greenwood County Singers. Can I, could I play bass? I lied and said I could, so I got a free ride out to California. Couldn't play bass, but I ended up getting in another group in two days. Michael Martin Murphy had left the group, and uh, they were looking for somebody, and I was on the door checking IDs my second night in L.A., and suddenly I find myself in a group on RCA Victor Records and uh, on TV with Jack Linkletter and uh, and going out and doing concerts. The funny thing about it, Steve, we were called the New Society. And the big problem was we had the wrecking crew do our album in uh, in L.A. 
So having Carol Kay and, and Jim Keltner and Glenn Campbell yeah. and then studio musicians doing all the singing, we went out on the road. We couldn't play our album. <laughs> we, <laughs> we couldn't even come close <laughs> to, what, to what they'd done. You know yeah. how great those guys were. It's pretty amazing, you know, to, to this, this time of my life. I tell people, you know, the first 50 years were the hardest. So far, the second 50 has been a whole lot easier, <laughs> which is which is true because, man, I mean, being on the Grand Ole Opry, whenever I can get down there, they'll, yeah. they'll have me whenever I can be on it. And then 25 years with Johnny Mathis in the orchestra going on in the middle of the show. I don't even open. Yeah. And then with corporates, you know, and, and getting to play with great musicians, you know, and you know, going out with people like Vince Gill and Zach Brown, whatever, and working with people like Alice Cooper. Last week, I was in L.A. working on a show with the two remaining doors, you know, Densmore and Robbie Krieger. Of course, yeah. We uh, love them. Boston, The Cars, a couple of The Runaways, uh, Oriante, um, just amazing, you know, and Chicago clothes. And I'm on this show. I mean, it's just it's amazing to well, me. we were supposed to be there. To you know, we were supposed to be there, and our son guy had a film uh, up for the oh. Austin Film Festival, that's, so we had to bell. Right. But I hated we that were. we had to miss it. But I know I saw pictures of all you guys having a lot of fun, so I know well, it was a did. great show. How's the How's the film? You told me about that. Film. Yeah, that's it was right, good, man. man. He's great. you know he's twenty three, just graduated film college, film school out in Chapman, and uh, he's uh, he's coloring for a lot of people and getting a lot of gigs and a lot of repeat business while he works on exactly what he wants to be. So instead right. of selling coffee or working in a bar, he, he, he really focused on becoming a colorist where, you know, his skill set was high enough to, to show that. And then, of course, his... His main uh, passion is is directing and, and writing scripts and making films. So he's yeah. got a good start. Twenty three years, he's having the time of his life. He lives out in West Hollywood, so hopefully he'll. You know, he was born and raised mostly in Nashville, so all our kids were. So uh, it'll right. be interesting to see. He the Delta really sort of seeped into him, and it'll be interesting to see what he really calls home if he ever goes back. You know. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, so let's... tell me something. So okay, I gotta take take me back. So. You've been doing this a long time. Um, Sorry, yeah. How yeah. long? How long you've been doing it, Gary? Uh, in 1960, I was about to enter my fifth. My actually, I was about to enter my fourth or fifth year as a freshman at Black Hill State Teachers College here in Spearface, South <laughs> Dakota. And I decided I better do something with my life. And I noticed that the guy with the guitar got just as many girls as the quarterback and didn't get beat up over it. Not so yeah, I right. decided. Right away, I decided, I took a guitar lesson, I learned four chords, E, A, B, seventh, and D, and practiced about 12 Johnny Cash songs for 10 days, went to the Buffalo Bar in Deadwood, South Dakota, and I got a job Friday, Saturday night, working four hours a night, repeating my songs, and uh, I've been working ever since, that was 1960, so it's been, I'm coming up, I'm 50, you know, 58 years I've been doing Wow. You know, getting the girls yeah. is a lot better with calluses on your fingers rather than on your brain, well, you know? You know, man, it's just it's just crazy. You know, I talk about this, but my first night in show business, I wasn't ready, Steve. I wasn't ready to, to be on stage. And there, luckily, there were only eight people in the audience. I went into my first song, which was Folsom Prison Blues, and I did the E, and the A was fine. When I came to the B7, I missed it. <laughs> and all eight people just turned and put their drinks down and just stared at me. You know, they weren't paying attention to me until that happened. So I just told a joke. And uh, they thought it was just part of the show. I went back to drinking, and I, all night long, every time I made a mistake, I told a joke. Come on. And I, and in between that, 
they had pinball machines at the uh, in Deadwood, South Dakota. Uh, they had pinball machines that paid off you know, a dime a game. I was getting fifteen dollars a night to do work from nine to nine to, to one a.m. Forty-five minutes on, fifteen off. And by the time the night was over, I had lost twelve of my fifteen dollars on the intermission <laughs> on the pinball machine. I had three three bucks left. Now here's here's what was amazing. There was a lady sitting at the bar, and she said, "What are you going to do now?" And I said, "Well." probably just get something to eat and go home. She said, why don't you come with me? Bring your guitar and your amplifier and all this stuff. Now, here's the thing, Steve. From 1876 to 1976, Deadwood, South Dakota, we had brothels over Main Street. Six six brothels over Main Street. And she was the madam of one of them. Of course she, she was. She took me with her back there, up, and I went up and I sat with my guitar about 1.30 or 2 and started playing for all the, all the Air Force guys from Rapid City who were coming in. Uh, the Cowboys from... Eastern Wyoming, uh, you know, all, all the, uh, yeah, the, the college students, of course, we had the roughnecks from the oil fields in Wyoming. I mean, the place was just really jumping. And I did my, I did my show, you know, I did just sang my songs and told my jokes. And about 4 a.m., I'm starting to fade. So this is the rub. The well, madam yeah. gives me a little black pill, which I didn't realize is something that she gave all the girls so they could stay up all weekend. <laughs> And by noon the next day, I was still playing my guitar. And uh, <laughs> so, and then I saw one of the girls later. Well, all I did was just talk to her. I was speeding so fast. I did all I wanted to do was just get out of there, and, you know, go vacuum and watch yeah. my car, right? <laughs> but to, to, to make a long story short, my first night in show business, I got into music, comedy, gambling, uh, drugs, and brothels. And now yeah, all five food groups, right? Yeah. But, but I, uh, but, but the thing is, the next day I I was up all day, and so that night before I went back to work, I was starting to fade about seven o'clock. So I went back up to that lady, and she gave me another pill, and I stayed up all night again and did the show. You know, that kind of slowly turned into my, you know, it's all my bad habits later on. I've been thirty-one years clean and sober now, but wow, for all the, that's kind of what started it off. We're talking oh, yeah. to Gary Mule Deer. He's in South Dakota. He's unpacking, packing, packing, unpacking, grabbing his bride. You're in a Mississippi Minute. We're going to be right back. When I'm away from you is a waste of my time. Hey, folks. In the market for new pillows, I'd like to tell you about who I believe strongly is the best pillow manufacturer made right here in the USA. My friends at Beds by Design and their amazing Omni Pillow. The Omni Pillow is made with a copper-infused fabric, and they use high-quality fabric. The copper has been known to be antifungal, antibacterial, and good for the skin. The Omni Flow is the foam in the inside, designed by their veteran team. The Omni Flow is a one-of-a-kind product that is unlike any other material. It is a patent material that adjusts as the weight is applied. They combine that with responsive temperature control that regulates your body temperature as you sleep. OmniPillow has a 100-day return policy. And listen to this. They'll donate a pillow to someone in need every time you purchase one. Their goal? To give away 1 million pillows. It also comes with a stress cube that sells for 10 bucks. Give yourself a much-deserved life's rest. Go to OmniPillow.com. That's OmniPillow.com. Enter promo code Steve Azar and receive 20% off with free shipping. You won't regret it. Thanks, guys.
In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. My grandpa used to say some weird things. One time somebody asked him what he wanted to be when he got out of high school. He said, no more than 25. I make fun of my grandpa, but actually he was pretty successful. He was a veterinarian and a taxidermist. I know what you're thinking. No matter what happened, you got your dog back. I'm Steve Azar. We are with the man, Gary Mule Deer, who will entertain you uh, till, you're, till you just can't take it anymore. And uh, I've been a fan of yours for a long time, Gary, and just getting to know you from afar, from the golf, golf stuff and all that we're talking about. Hey, so when did it go from Miller? Tell me about the Miller household growing up. I want to know what your folks were like. Who had the wit? And when did you find out? You talk about just all of a sudden you cracked a joke, but, you know, they couldn't have come from just out of the sky. You had to sort of be built that way or be around someone that you grew up with in your family that influenced you uh, yeah. to sort of round it rounded off, you know, your entire sort of talents that well, that you're doing now. Yeah. Tell you what happened. My, my, my dad, folks, and brothers and sisters were all in Missouri. They were on Carrollton. Bolivar at Springfield. And my Uncle Paul, in 1935, went over to what's called Iraq now. It was Mesopotamia at the time, I think. I think it's Iraq now. Anyway, he went over there and he worked for Shell Oil. He made a lot of money. And he came back to to Missouri, and there was a traveling troop going through. This is, this is true. This is kind of how I was destined for show business. There was a show, a live show going on, a traveling troop in Springfield, and he took family to see it, and there was this girl in it that he just wanted to meet, and she would have nothing to do with him, and she, the whole time they were there, and then they left and came to the Black Hills of South Dakota to appear in Deadwood at the theater there, and he followed her all the way up here to the Black Hills of South Dakota. This was my Uncle Paul, my Uncle Paul, and she still would have nothing to do with him, so he's up here in the middle of the winter, and he's realizing there's no fresh fruits and vegetables anywhere around in the Black Hills, so he buys a couple of trucks and gets a place for a warehouse and starts running fruits and vegetables back and forth from Denver up into the Black Hills and starts Twin City Fruit and Produce, brings the whole family up here, and they start helping at the warehouse, opening small markets and that kind of thing. That's kind of how I got here. And my Uncle Paul, who was who at the time had made it, everybody else was working. I spent more time with my Uncle Paul when I was three, four, and five years old than I did with my mom and dad. He took me everywhere. He was He was single. And I was he just liked to have me around. And he took me to a lot of movies. He made me read. He taught me to read by the time I was five years old. He made me read billboards when we would drive along, you know, together. But I think me seeing those early movies and all that stuff, especially comedies, somewhere in there, I must have thought that's what I wanted to do. Wow. I really think so. And as far as growing up, my mom was always a singer. My dad had a great sense of humor. My brothers and my brother and sister, I have a brother and sister that have a great sense of humor. And, uh, that's pretty good, and I also know I'm married to someone who makes me laugh all the time. So yeah. it's just I'm very fortunate that that you know I I had a career a lot of years that was motivated by self destruction. So I'm lucky to be here. It kept me going, and it, it wasn't desperation. But I you know I started writing a lot of stuff during the '60s, 
Yeah, Steve Martin and I were roommates. Steve Martin and I and Michael Johnson. Yeah, I got. And we got to talk about that. I, I, I mean, I, that may be like a whole day. That may be like eleven Mississippi minutes because I, I love Steve Martin. <laughs> Comedy is not pretty. Was the thing That's that right. we listened to on our. I called it after football games on our ditch that was across street from my house where all the cars would gather and we would crank up Steve Martin's Comedy yeah. is Not Pretty. And we could yeah. we could tell you every, we could follow it word we were we knew it all I mean you know it was, right so what was the I mean I don't want to interrupt where you're going but get me to no, Steve Martin okay. in a little bit because I want to know what it was like for you two to room together. Oh uh, well, I tell you what, when I came out to L.A. after they, they found out I couldn't play bass and the Greenwood County Singers actually <laughs> threw me out on the street <laughs> and the guy that brought me out was horrified and he was going on the road the next day with the with the Greenwood County Singers so he took me up to a place called Ledbetter. And it was a folk music club built by the new Christian Minstrels. This was the 1963. Randy Sparks and the Christian Minstrels built the club. And there was a group called the Back Porch Majority there who were uh, actually part of the or kind of, kind of a farm team the Christian Minstrels. John Duchendorf was the host. He wasn't John Denver You know Denver who that yet. is, yeah. Yes, sir. He John wasn't Denver. Denver yet. And Steve Martin was the magician, played a banjo, and was, did the magic stuff. And we had Boomer and Travis, which was Owens Castleman and Michael Martin Murphy, and they were part of the new society, but Buck Owens had taken them from Randy. That's why I got into the slot when they left. But I saw Stephen, Steve and I, and Michael Johnson was out at that time. We all decided to get a house together in West L.A. And it was just, you know, Steve started writing full-time on the Smothers Brothers show. I really couldn't trust myself to be, to get, have a full-time job. And I wanted to I wanted to, you know, be freelance, turn in things once in a while. And I did for Steve and helped him out with his writer, actually with his writer's block, which uh, he gave, gives me credit for and born standing up. He was on the Smothers show and wasn't coming up with anything. And Tommy came and said, Steve, we got to have you doing a couple of these sketches this week. And if not, we're going to have to let you go. So Steve remembered a couple of things from my hack. And he <laughs> called me and said, can I use them? I gave them to him. And they put him in the show, and it worked great, and it broke his writer's block. Wow. And after that, it was perfect. The funniest thing, I think, that happened with Steve and I and, and Michael Johnson, who I think we were all maybe, we might have been slightly chemically enhanced one day when there was a big sale on uh, on uh, carpeting. So we went down about carpeting for this full house we were renting. We came back. We measured it perfectly, everything, around all of the, around all of the, all the woodwork, everything in the kitchen, in the dining room. Took it out in the backyard and cut it perfectly. Brought it in and realized we cut it upside down <laughs> with the pad up. So we put, so we installed it with the pad up, and it just stayed that way the whole rest of the the whole rest of the time <laughs> with the with the pile underneath. And that's the one thing I remember about that. That and I also went out and did a corporate thing. And when I was walking back by a table, there was all those a big pile of those stickers that say, hello, my name is, you write your name on it, you know, and put it on so everybody knows who you are. I took every one of them, took them back to the house, and for the next two or three months, Michael and I and Steve would take those, and everything in the house had a hello, my name is. Hello, my name is Water Fossa. Hello, my name is Forks. Hello, my name is Refrigerator. Every inch of the house had a hello, my had everything written on it. It was amazing. That I do remember so, that part. That is so good. Okay, so how long did you guys room together or put we up with each other? That long. We were only roomed together maybe about six to eight months, and then we all were kind of going off in different directions. Michael had gone off and 
and done the thing with the Chad Mitchell Trio, and uh, I was going into the New Society, and, and from there into a group called Bandana, and uh, Steve was just taken off, man. Steve always knew what he was going to do. Steve was, you know, he was, he had it covered, and uh, he kind of knew he, he was going to do stand-up, he was going to do big stand-up, he was going to do comedy albums, he was going to do places like Las Vegas, he was going to fill out almost stadiums, he was going to start doing TV specials, from there, he was going to do movies. Then he was going to start writing books and then plays. I mean, he's and now he's looking how great a banjo player he is. Well, no, he's got a band. I always look at it for the Mighty Mississippi Music Festival. I always look at it and go, do we need to get Steve's band? <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. I mean, they're great. He, now he's he married to Edie Brickell, right? Are you still yeah. married? I think they're still doing stuff. They write together, and they see he's out now. I think with Martin Short, the Steve Canyon Rangers are out doing stuff. Yeah. You guys, what what a talented household! And, you know, as yeah. as much as you guys didn't need to get in, in, you know, put carpet in for anybody, but yeah, yourselves. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Wow, what a what a. Do you ever look back, Gary, and go, uh, just? Uh, are you ever in awe of your life? Yeah, if I stop really stop and think about it, it's it, it's pretty amazing. I'm pretty darn sure I'm the only act to ever appear with Willie Nelson and Frank Sinatra on the same night. And I, by the way, for you golfers, I get to play in the AT&T every year. It's not bad for a guy that only went to bed Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays in the 70s and 80s. <laughs> I just say, you know, so far, you know, the 50 year, first 50 years are the hardest. So far, the second 50 have been a whole lot easier. <laughs> That's just, I think about stuff like that, you know. Yeah. Nita and I will sit down. One time we sat down and figured out how many people I've worked with. I think we had almost 90 people that were just in country music over the years. Hey, Gary, we're talking to Gary Mule Deer. Gary, we are the Mississippi is the birthplace of American music. I mean, growing up here for me, if it, if I don't grow up here, I got no shot because this it right. just uh, it's in the alluvian soil. It just takes us. It takes your breath away, man, just being here. And it just uh, it matters, the whole art form. OK, so you get to play DJ. Would you like to hear a little Elvis Presley or Conway Twitty? I'm not making it easy on you. Oh, man, I just got to hear a little bit of Elvis. There you go. All right, we're with the great Gary Mule Deer. Let's hear a little Elvis. It's hard to breathe. My chest is a heaving. Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Now I taught that weeping willow how to cry. And I showed the clouds how to cover up a clear blue sky. I'm Steve Azar. We're back in a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, because you can finish it, because that's how we roll down here. It takes a while for us to get the whole story out, and we're getting it. From Gary Mule Deer, where do, I know you've been asked this a thousand times, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to give you the the one question that I was that I didn't want to ask you, but I'm doing it. Where did the name come from? Uh, actually, it's it, in 1960. I was rather chemically enhanced, and I went to <laughs> a, the uh, courthouse in Santa Monica, California, and changed my name from Miller to Mule Deer. The reason was 
the bass player in the group I was in, Sherman Hayes, who later became Wayland's bass player until one night he climbed up in a tree in Oregon and wouldn't come out. That's the story, and I think they just left him there. But anyway, he always called me Mule Deer because I was the only guy old enough to drive the bus. And people would wake up in the middle of the night, and here I am sitting in the middle of Utah or, or uh, Nevada spotlighting. At a, we had a Checker limousine with a Chrysler engine in it. You know, and I had spotlights. I was spotlighting Mule Deer all night long. I was the only guy old enough to drive the bus, plus I never went to bed. No one noticed that. He called me Mule Deer, and pretty soon everyone was calling me that. And, you know, my mom never really forgave me for that until I did my first Tonight Show. And then Gary Mule Deer was okay. But until then, it was, uh, yeah, it was it was touch and go with the family. <laughs> hey, let's talk about that. Your mom seeing you on the Tonight Show. There's Johnny yeah. Carson. There you are. Was that your first big show? I mean, what's the big, at the time, it's as big as it could possibly be. My first show was, was uh, Art Linkletter's Talent Scouts, which is a show that right. was on in the late 60s. Then I started doing some things that were uh, with, believe it or not, Ann Miller, Howard Keel, and Burl Ives had a, had a company. We were doing specials with them. And Alan Ludden, who was married to Betty White at the time, was producing. Now, these were just syndicated shows. And then from then on, I started working with, with Moondog, and that's when we started doing the CBS uh, summer shows, you know, and then we, uh, about 1975, I went on my own. And in 76, my first show, David Brenner brought me on. He was the guest host, and I was the comedian, and that started it off. That started off my, my television career on my own. And I'll tell you how big TV was, and you know, we didn't, we only had, what, three three networks and maybe a couple of syndicated, that was it. And so here I am doing the show on NBC with a guest host, and the next day I get a call to go meet Woody Allen, and I'm walking in a big hangar-like place down at the very, he's sitting down at the very end of this giant studio, which is the size of an airplane hangar with a, with a assistant on a, on a uh, couch. I walk all the way down, he stands up, shakes my hand, I said, nice to meet you. Are you busy Monday? I said, no, you'll be hearing from me. So I went all the way out. Within three hours, I had the script for Annie Hall, which I'll tell you about in a minute. Man. Now, later that day, my manager called and said, they want to see you over to a place called Don Kirshner's Rock Concert. <laughs> so I went over there and went in, and they were looking for somebody to be the comedy host and the, uh, and the off-camera announcer of one of the first big rock and roll shows. It was on NBC. It followed Saturday Night Live every Saturday night for four years from 1 to 2 a.m. in the morning. And that's just two things that I got out of that, being on a guest a show with a guest host. That's how big that show was. So your mom, well, it's, it's, absolutely, it's absolutely amazing. And the, the bottom line is, so, and when I, my intro, I'm in it. For generations, you've been able to maintain to be viable. And, yeah. And, do you, what do you credit that to? Because a lot of times we get stale. A lot of times we get, you know, as artists, we, we're stuck in the mud. And mm-hmm. you haven't been. Have you? Do you feel like there's been growth? Uh, or do you feel like that your style was just never going to go out of style? I think I'm probably better at what I do now than I've ever been. But one thing that's saved me, I think I'm actually coming out of, coming out of uh, rehab and finding out that I need a little more Christian faith than I'd had before, mm-hmm. number one. Yeah. Number two, I've always been G-rated, Steve, and no matter what. I mean, 
I like to work for families because I'll hear the parents say, we never left being with our kids before. And the kids will say, I've never seen mom laugh like that. I mean, huh. I kind of bridge the gap unintentionally. And I think that's been a big thing. So G-rated comedy and the music of Johnny Cash, I don't do an impression of Cash, but I learned to sing with his records. And yeah. I think that that's why when I do his music, people enjoy it. And I think those are two really good. I'm really glad that I picked G-rated comedy and the music of Johnny Cash. It could have been R-rated comedy and the music of Frankie Avalon. We wouldn't be having this conversation. Right, right. No. no. <laughs> I love it with Gary Mule Deer. Yeah. All right. Well, so when you got married and you got your yeah. name, your, obviously your name was officially changed. So I yeah. now pronounce you Mr. and Mrs. Gary Mule Deer? Well, I'm, when I met Nita in 1980, 1980, I was actually I was working with Roger Miller, the late, great Roger Miller. Oh, my God. The seven years. Wow. Was one of the of the best work I've ever had, being brilliant. And Nita was a uh, a model in New York for the past 20 years. She was Nita Van Houston, so she's still mm -hmm. Nita Van Houston mule deer for the most part. <laughs> she ended up being my manager, and she still does all my promo, and we, we talk about this once in a while. We were talking about it last night, the kind of life that we've had and what we've managed to do the last 30 years. It's incredible. No, you know? I know. And do you, you know do you, what it's No, I do. I love it. Do you consider yourself, uh, do you consider this show the greatest show you've ever been on? <laughs> I think it's the second greatest show. Probably not the first. I can take it. Yeah, you're two. right in there. You're in the top two or three. I can yeah. take it. I can take it. I can take it. Well, I love you being <laughs> on this show, and I'm not done with you yet. Uh, okay. I know. So, so tell me uh, the gong show. All right. Oh. Okay. How'd you land the gig? How did it all go down? Because, I mean, that was such a hugely popular show chuck barris loved my props you know i was a prop comedian from well steve martin and i both were we started it together in 65 but we all both had props on our show i had props that i used when i was running these other groups and when mulder and moondog were out from 70 to 75 we had 300 pounds of props <laughs> and then when i went on my own i just i'd never i hadn't worked with by myself for a long time so i just when dennis quit the group I just started doing both parts. I'd move back and forth from one microphone to the other and, and do the whole thing like there were two of us up there, plus all the crazy props, and Chuck Barris saw that. He saw that one night at the Comedy Store, and he also saw it on, the, on a Tonight Show that I did. Wow. And uh, he just asked me to come down and do a couple of guest spots. And from that, that worked out doing, uh, you know, Murray Langston and I. We started working also as, as uh, you know, being being judges on the gong show. Yeah. It was pretty incredible. I'll tell you, you know, Pat McCormick, the head writer for, for Johnny Carson, I, here's a really here's a really good one. We got we, we taped all five shows at the at the gong show and Pat said, You're coming with me, we're going out to NBC. So we get in his orange Rolls Royce with the green interior <laughs> and we drive out to NBC, go into the lot and we and as we're walking into the studio where the tonight show is I can see Johnny Carson standing out there with the two head writers, and Johnny's about to go on in about three minutes. The curtain's going to open. He's going to go out. Pat McCormick takes – now, Pat was big. He's like 6'4", Irishman, weighed about 350 pounds. And Pat takes me over to the left, stage left, and starts undressing, handing me his clothes. And he's standing there with nothing on as the curtain opens, and Johnny goes out. And Johnny goes into his monologue, and Pat tells me, you go over to the other side – to stage right with my clothes and wait for me. This is when streaking was a big deal, right? Right. So 
Here's Carson into his monologue, and about two minutes in, you hear the people go, ah, you hear all this sounding. You see John turn to the you see Johnny turn to the left and just miss Pat, turn to the right and just see Pat disappearing. Cage <laughs> right behind the curtain and kind of laughs. That night they ran a black strip across it. So all you can see was Pat's head bobbing behind. <laughs> so here's Pat running up to me, and he slips, Steve. He slips and falls and twists his ankle. Here we've got a 350-pound guy with no clothes on trying to get him wrapped up to get him out into the Rolls Royce so I can drive him down to get his leg wrapped at a, a doctor friend of his. I mean, this stuff like this, man, you can't make it up. No. I mean, you just, you just can't. It's just one little instance, you know. I love it. I love it. You know, you know, you mentioned something earlier, and, uh, like, I guess it reminded me of, of, of what you just told me. It told, told us all. Uh, when you made a mistake on guitar, you told a joke. It, right. I mean, you found that out pretty quick. A lot of people get don't understand that when they're uh -huh. entertaining and something doesn't go their way, they turn red, they they lose it. That's the time when right. you become an entertainer. That's that's when the good stuff happens. You and, know what? You're right, and that's that's what you, I wanted to do it so badly. I was going to do it no matter what, and I just keep at it. I've always said this in my show. It's kind of a joke. Uh, I think the reason one of the reasons I've been around so long is I always made sure I didn't have anything to fall back on. <laughs> So, I have no, to do that. We got nothing to fall back on. I mean, that's right, man, and, I, and that's what's great about it. I think you know. No, you have to wake yeah. up no, with no choice of just just dredging forward, and it's awesome. I mean, it's uh, I mean, yeah. it's uh, it's an amazing thing when uh, you're so passionate about something like we are, and it makes people yeah. happy and makes ourselves happy first of all, which yeah, is that's so important. When I have somebody come up to me and say, "I haven't laughed since my since mom passed away, or my lost my brother." Or da da da. I mean, right there, something like that. I've been I, the first time I made you made me laugh. I had a guy walk up to me one time. In fact, I carried this with me, Steve. He walked up to me in Branson, Missouri, and put his Marine Corps ring in my hand and closed my hand over it. And said, "I want you to have this." Wow. It's the first time I've laughed since I lost my wife two years ago. Oh wow! I've held that ring, hoping he's going to come back someday and show up again. At a merchandise booth. But, I mean, wow. stuff like this is pretty amazing, you know. We're talking to Gary Mule Deer. You're in the Mississippi Minute. We're going to be right back. Yeah, I'm going to sit right here until I die. Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Steve Azar. We are with the man, Gary Muledeer. We have these amazing stories. I mean, it just, I'm blown away so many times. You know, the power of a song is one thing, and, there, and it's oh, yeah. a powerful thing, but the power of laughter, truly. I mean, when you wake up in the morning and you're in the car and there's a great morning guy and the, us, yeah. when the days are growing up and he gets you laughing, he gets you started. Okay, I think if you can make somebody truly laugh, then you got the rest whipped. The that ability, you're both. You're both a musician uh, and you're and you're a c comedian. Well, I talk about this in my show, and I've talked about this to people before. They always said that laughter was the best medicine, but it has to be healthy laughter. And all my laughter comes from from the Belt, belt line up, basically. And I'll tell you, this is an example that, I, that I've noticed over the years. You can have somebody like Ellen DeGeneres and Rita Rudner. Let's use them as an example. All right. As 
doing as, or, and Jeff Foxworthy, doing as great as they can do with their audience, and that level, that decibel level, is, is about as high as it can get. And then you go over to somebody like, then we'll take, we'll take Bob Saget, we'll take Andrew Dice Clay, and with one or two, whoever, I don't even know who their names are anymore, but there's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty blue lady comedians now. Anyway, when you hear them at the same decibel level with their audience, it's a different sound. There's mm-hmm. a, it's a different sound. It's the same. It's a, it, you know, it, 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 yeah. it, I don't know how to say it. It's just, it's, it's the healthy laughter sound is completely different than the reaction, uh, you know, the other sound. I you know, the reason, I've, the reason I've stayed connected to the music is that in 1977, Randy Hart, who now is the keyboard player on the, uh, on the Opry, Randy Hart was with Roger Miller's music, music conductor, and he had Danny Gatton and Thomas Carlyle as the guitar players in that group. Right. I mean, that was really something in those days. And I've had my, kept my connection with Randy, one of my oldest and dearest friends, and then from there he went to be, work with Steve Warner for years, and now he's on the Opry, but I've, he does he, all my production on all these all these, I go into the studio, I'm going to go back in again and do a few more things with the guys again. And they're oh, all looking forward to it. They like to be in the Dust and Cover band. So well, yeah, they do. Cool. I'd like to be in yeah. that band. That'd be a great band to be in. Fortunate hey, for me. <laughs> you know, the Opry, you talk about the Opry, uh, is always a yeah. thrill to play. Um, I uh, When I moved back home, uh, they would call and they go, "You're going to can you be here this weekend?" And, you know, you do two nights when you do it, and it's uh, right. it's a lot of sitting around, and then you finally get up and get to go play your two songs. And but I uh, I I just I was so locked into helping now be around my kids and watching them play sports sure. or making films yeah. or, and I, I wanted to see that, and I don't you know I've I've missed uh, I've missed playing the Opry, but uh, as I played it. I mean, I mean, you know, seventy. I ain't no telling how many times I played it. A zillion times. Oh, I know you played it. Huh? But oh yeah. But I do miss it at times. But um, uh, I just. I mean, do you ever get when you're there? I mean, I know yeah. they've got the after the flood. We had the flood. They rebuilt it and all that. Right. Do you ever get tired? Like, I have to wake up and then go. Oh, I got to go play. I mean, you have to get up. You, you know, I don't. It, it's still it's still as exciting to me as the first time I played it. I mean, to me, it's, it's so great, and, and going around from dressing room to dressing yeah, room true. and hearing people jam and seeing people I haven't seen for 20, 30 years. And, you know, luckily I've got other work to pay for it, is how I have to say this, because when I fly down there, stay, and do it, oh, yeah. you know I'm not going to make any money. Right. And right now I've got it down, and it only costs me about 600 bucks to do it. <laughs> people don't <laughs> you know, know it, do I they? Wouldn't trade it. They I wouldn't trade it for anything. No, it's no. great, and they don't know it. And you're right; you do bounce around from room to room. I, I'm just oh, yeah. selfishly, I I just get started after six songs. So give me two, yeah. and I'm like, I can't do it. I need more. <laughs> but you well, know, it's just that's yeah. my my makeup. And uh, but I've learned to you know I learned to do the two songs and just try to try to come alive. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but no, always a blessing to get to play the Opry. I love playing the Ryman. It was always my favorite favorite place to play. And oh, and I love going there too. You yeah. know, it's with it's also you know I think one of the reasons that I'm still working so much is I've I've always known when to get off, Steve. You know, if they want eight minutes, I'll do seven minutes and forty seconds. Right. If they want right. ten, I'll do nine and a half minutes. That's something that I that I've, I've always had in me that I've, I've you can do that. I went from I was just thinking about. Just for the last the last seven weeks, I had two corporate things up in Pebble Beach. One with all book authors, which hmm. I was slated to go on between Leon Panetta and Condoleezza Rice. And then from that, I go and do a boys and girls club for an hour in in uh, in Colorado. Then I go do the Opry. I do 
two eight minute sets a night in the Opry. Then I, uh, you know, then I got to go do something else for yeah. for twenty five minutes at a, at a place in uh, in Minturn, Colorado. So I mean, I just know I I've got to figure it out. When I'm with Johnny Mathis, I do twenty seven minutes in the middle, and I'm usually right on it without ever looking at my watch. I can just kind of feel it, you know. Right. And I think that that's that's. It's, I don't know. I'm lucky I can do that. You no, know, no. I mean, that's experience. That's experience. Yeah. I mean, that's what happens as you as you get to do it more and more. You that clock doesn't doesn't make you afraid anymore. It doesn't. No. You know. Yeah. No. You, you your clock your internal clock matches the the external. So. That's hey, well, right. Gary, I can't thank you enough for taking a Mississippi minute. But you've been in. You've been amazing. And uh, blessings out on the road. And you take good care of yourself. Take good care of Anita. Thank you. And you have a great Thank holiday you. season. And, and uh, again, you're the best, pal. I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you for doing this, man. I really enjoyed it. This oh, I great. appreciate it. Hey, listen, uh, I will say this. I'll, you've been in the Mississippi Minute with the great Gary Mule Deer. I'm Steve Azar. Over and out. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.